Welcome to Thinking Deeply About Primary Education, the podcast that makes time and space to really think about pedagogy, teaching and learning, professional development, anything of interest to time-poor but enthusiasm-rich primary teachers. This week, I'm joined by Christopher Such. Hello again. And together, we'll try to answer the question, how do you solve a problem like number lines? But first, Chris, what are you reading for? This week, I have just finished... I can't promise I've read it all in the week, but I have finished it this week. Um, a book called Get Better Faster. It will be familiar to people on Edu Twitter as a, a guide to coaching of teachers, particularly teachers at the start of their career. It's a really interesting book. It's very American. It's very, I guess the phrase would be up and atom, very positive. It's, it's well worth checking out for anyone who is in the the game of dealing with early careers teachers and supporting them, or dare I say, even teachers later in their career who you want to support who maybe are struggling a bit more. I think having said that, I think there are elements of what's described in the book that would benefit my practice, would benefit anyone's practice. So it's, yeah, really interesting guide to coaching. I think the reason I bring it up and the reason I want to mention it in particular is one idea that I love from it, which is about how to support NQTs through that very first week, because I remember my first few days of being a teacher and I don't think there's anything has terrified me as much as Monday morning or Tuesday morning, whatever it was, day one in the classroom. And one of the things the book recommends is the idea of a, a genuine dry run with teachers, whether in the classroom, where you talk through, where they go through their timetable, where they take it step by step. So the next day, terrifying though it would still be, the only thing that's new to them is that the you know the, the children are there but teachers have already rehearsed where they're going to stand what they're going to say when they ask children to line up having a lot of these basics drilled for want of a better phrase is um, something that I think I would have benefited from in my first week of teaching that sounds really interesting and um, I haven't read it but I I think I'm going to push it up the list possibly after your recommendation. And um, yeah, because it sounds like something that um, I think I'd enjoy, especially like, you know, that idea of going as deep into that first week, you know, it's, it's, it's not something everybody considers and it's not something I genuinely consider, um, but really should. That's, that sounds great. And um, this week I have been reading for the second time, understanding how we learn and, um, and that's by the learning scientists, uh, Jana Weinstein and Megan Sumeraki. Um, I apologize to both of them if I butchered their names, but I've only ever read their names. I've never heard them um, said before. Um, and then Ollie Kev as well. Um, and what I really like about it is that it makes quite sometimes quite dense subject matter um, the most accessible I think it has been, certainly in, in what I've read. Um, it's in, in nice manageable chunks. So you could sit, you know, five minutes, get under the skin of something really interesting, stop and then come back later. Um, and then obviously as with anything that Ollie Kev does, it's superbly presented, you know, so it's, it's almost like a really intuitive book. Um, and so I think some of their best stuff and um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. And I think, you know, it's, it's probably a must read in my opinion. Just to add in there, I remember a few, it would be about 12 months ago, listening to some of the Learning Scientist podcasts. There was one particularly on, um, on retrieval. Really, really interesting stuff. And, and that rings true with what you were saying about the book. Really accessible, um, yet with enough depth to keep you interested. So yeah, highly recommend their work. So I think that, that brings us nicely on to the, the subject matter for this episode um, and it's something that I know we like to talk about quite a lot Chris um, and that's number lines. If you don't mind me asking what makes number lines different from other representations of number? I think the first thing to draw out from what makes a number line unique is to compare, well, the first thing to do would be to compare it to the thing that it's most closely related to, which is the number track. Now, for those people who aren't teachers further down the school, a number track is effectively 
um, a line of boxes, a bit like the bottom row of snakes and ladders board, one, two, however far you want to go, or including zero. Um, and, it, and the difference between that and, say, a number line is that they both have this, um, they both represent the ordinal aspect of number. You're both, they're both, um, in other words, show you the position of number relative to other numbers. But the difference is with a number line is that because you don't have specific boxes for specific numbers, the distance from zero is representative of the number. I mean, that is sort of the case with a number track, but it's more in discrete chunks of counting, whereas you end up with this continuous representation on a number line. So that'd be the first thing I'd say before I go into any other detail, I'd fire the question back at you because this is much more your area of expertise than mine. Beyond kind of it being a continuous representation, what would you add? So I think the number line seems to have a special place in the hearts of lots of um, mathematics researchers, you know, certainly those researching early um, and sort of primary mathematics education, you know, and, and development. And um, because, you know, I'm thinking about papers by people like Tesserina Nunes and stuff where they're talking about the power of the number line. Um, and I'll come to it a little bit later on, the connection that that has between, um, you know, the connection between your sort of awareness of number and how you interpret the number line. And um, so in terms of how it's, different from other representations it seems and um, it seems that a lot of people are convinced that it has this sort of intrinsic property and um, you know people draw connections between if you learn to read left to right then your mental number line is left to right and vice versa you know so it's almost a representation that's a part of who we are and um, you know without going completely ethereal on everybody. <laughs> and I think for me, that's what makes it different is that it almost seems more than a representation. And in some instances, you know, I think, you know, essentially when you boil it down, it is a representation of the distance between various points. And, but I think there's so much to it that it almost gives us pause for thought as to when we should introduce it because it is so powerful. It's interesting that you say that. Um, it reminds me a little bit of something I read a little while back by um, George Lakoff about embodied cognition, where he talks about the number line being one of a few key representations of number. I mean, he sees number as something that is inherently embodied something that we can only understand through experience doesn't really stand any of that um, platonic stuff i um would say one of the other things thinking about it that makes the number line different to other representations is the fact that you can start with what is effectively a a, a blank number line you can start with something without numbers or without anything on it and then use it and, and adapt it and manipulate it to represent any size of number so you can start with this number line on the board and before you deal with it it could be a number line that's talking from zero to ten or it could be a number line that's looking from you know negative fifty thousand to positive fifty thousand there's a certain flexibility to it that makes it so incredibly powerful i think yeah there's um there's a really good paper and it's a, it's a meta-analysis. And I think it looks at over, you know, studies with over 10,500-ish 10, um, participants. Um, and I think they're between four and 14, if I remember. Um, but it's, um, we've mentioned it before, Leifen Verstaffel, and he was a member of a team that was led by Michael Schneider. And they looked at the correlation between the number line and general mathematical ability. And, and what they said was, you know, without ascribing any sort of causation, those with, um, you know, those with a strong understanding of the number line also had a strong mathematical level of mathematical competence. Um, and as people got older, you know, when they were working with, you know, things like fractions more, the, 
the correlation seemed to in, increase. Um, and I mentioned that because they say one of the possible reasons is that Siegler's integrated theory of numerical development, um, you know, where proportional reasoning is a key component. And um, they say it's possible that because proportional reasoning is so fundamental to the number line um, and that sense of, of magnitude um, as well, that might possibly be um, that might possibly be the reason why the number line has such a strong correlation um, with with mathematical competence. Um, yeah, so I think it, it's de it's definitely a fascinating um, for something that seems so simple. Um, it's a uh, yeah, you know, there, there, there's so much to it. I think one of the things that, and, and this is purely speculative, I'm sure I've seen um, a bit of research and a couple of programs on the subject that talked about the idea that children's completely untouched kind of natural understanding of mathematics is more logarithmic than the one, two, three, four, five, six, seven equally spaced idea that we see on a standard number line. I think it might be the case potentially that an understanding of the number line allows children to move away from that logarithmic understanding of number. I mean, a logarithmic, a logarithmic understanding of number kind of makes sense in nature because what you need to know is, is there a, you know, are there lots? And I mean, mega lots or are there not very many or are there a number that we can, you know, deal with with our hands? So a little, a lot or megalots is a much more useful construct than something as precise as being able to say, oh, you know, there are 375 of this. So a logarithmic understanding number maybe does make more sense naturally. Um, and thus maybe it's the case that the number line allows us to, to move away from that understanding and thus a grasp of it helps us develop this understanding. Again, purely speculative. And I only really bring that up to highlight the idea about um, na a natural understanding of a number being logarithmic and something that people should check out because it's really fascinating. Alongside that really quickly, I would say, and this is on probably a lot more firmer ground, is thinking about bits and pieces of research that I've seen in mathematics that relate to spatial awareness and the importance of the development of spatial awareness. And again, this points to the number line because obviously the number line is itself a representation of number that takes quite a structured view of space. And thus, if children are gonna succeed with it, their spatial awareness needs to be pretty strong, I would imagine. Yeah, sp spatial awareness comes up in that paper. And I, hand on heart, don't know enough about spatial awareness to really engage with that um, with, when, when they were talking about this is one of the possible reasons why it might be so so powerful a tool. And I sort of said, well, I, I sort of put a pin in it and said, I'll come back to that. And, but yeah, but that, that's definitely mentioned, you know, that one of the possible reasons why it might be so um, so important. And yeah, no, it, it, it's fascinating because, um, you know, one thing I'm thinking is that when you were talking there, when you when when pupils use, for instance, an, an, a blank number line or an empty number line, how much they understand number and how much they understand mathematics will largely determine how quickly they're able to adapt to that strategy. And you know, and it's not a case of in in my experience, the number line can give you almost like a skeleton. Okay, here's a way to approach this, but sans solid understanding of number i don't quite see it being worth the effort to go into that new model if that makes sense and um, mm -hmm. so I, I yeah and that that's what's coming to mind whenever you're talking there chris is um you know how you know what's what's the what's the balance between what we feel and what we're moving towards and um, you know i think it's definitely worthy of consideration so i guess the next question that comes from that really is and you've touched upon it briefly earlier on, when do you think precisely the number line should be introduced and, and why? And I guess alongside that, 
can we really be precise in making recommendations? <laughs> the, the million dollar question, <laughs> the conversation we've had a million times between us. Um, I'd like to go to the NCTM. So that's the American um, mathematical body. Um, because they, they, they say three things about when, you know, I think to choose representations. So creating and using representations to organize, record and communicate mathematical ideas, selecting, applying and translating among mathematical representations to solve problems or using representations to model and interpret physical, social and mathematical phenomena. Now, I think we spent the first question talking about three, but the incarnation um, is probably more often than not two, where you're using this representation to solve problems. Um, and so and I think that distinction has a really important influence on when we introduce the number line. So for instance, in my gut, and you know, last last bit of that question was, can we add um, any degree of certainty? I don't think we can because I think of every new one. There's so much out there on the number line. I don't get a sense of this is when it is best to do this. But here are many reasons why you might want to do X, Y, and Z. And for me, I'm going closer to year four, year five. So what when the pupils are nine, ten years of age, and um, because I think the complexity and, and the idea, you know, and I, you, you, you may come back on this one, Chris, the idea of the capacity for infinity and the representation of infinity on a number line, um, I think is almost too much if we're introduced it in year two. Because I, I don't know possibly mentioned in the national curriculum and um, it, it's been so long since I've actually taught it in year two and um, because we're more often than not using the number track and um, so I, yeah I would have it later on because I think there's so much to it that to get pupils to understand and pupils to get a, a proper sense they need a whole lot more mathematics than they will have had access to in the first seven years of their lives um, and for that reason, I think that if, if we do that, we draw our attention and we draw people's attention to an interpretation of the physical, you know, social and mathematical phenomena that exist, rather than it being a tool which can help you um, sort of, you know, solve problems. You know, we have, we, you know, we can count, we have an understanding of ordinality. We can use this tool to help us solve a problem but for me, and this is totally my opinion, um, that interpretation of the physical doesn't happen until you've got a little bit more maturity. You know, not much more, you know, like I said, an extra three, four years. And um, that, that's where I would go to. And um, what about you, Chris? Yeah, it's one of those um, relatively rare cases where I think we diverge on our opinions quite markedly. I'm perfectly okay with the idea of it being introduced in year two for a number of reasons i think I've, I've heard a lot of people share your opinion and people who know a great deal more about mathematics than i do so you know people should take what i say with a pinch of salt but i've heard a lot of people talk about the idea of infinity being an issue because for example the number line representation being continuous children are inevitably going to ask well what could be between zero and one and then you're lost in the world of fractions well having worked with children in year one and year two i get children asking me things like you get counters out and you keep counting and children will say things like oh what's past a thousand and one and you say a thousand and two it's not long before they're asking you well what's the biggest number so I think the idea of um, us hiding the idea of infinity from them is a bit of a lost cause if they are really mathematically astute. That doesn't mean we you know, bring it up and we explain it in its, all its detail, but I think the idea that um, it's something that we are effectively placing a shroud over if we don't introduce the number line isn't something that speaks to my personal experience. 
I think one of the other reasons I'm really a fan of the number line down in year two is in its understanding of just the identification of numbers. I've seen some really powerful use of numbers whereby children originally see a number line from zero to 100 and numbers are like over the time are removed. So initially you've got the whole zero to 100 number line on the board and you ask children to find where's 79, where's 36, where's 50. And slowly but surely they're putting these markers on. Over time, you then take away everything but the, the multiples of 10. So where's 23 now? And suddenly they're kind of attuned to the markers of 20 and 30 and where 20 and 30 would be. And then over time, you remove everything but 50. And then eventually you just have zero and 100. And children are still in that stage of, you know, you were at a stage where you can say, well, where's, where would 37 be? I think that ability to kind of estimate on a number line where 37 could or would be is such a powerful thing that I wouldn't want to leave it until later. In particular, it's something that I've noticed when I work with children who really struggle with mathematics in year five and six is how unbelievably poor they are at that particular um, skill and how quickly you can teach them it, which is such a rare thing in, in mathematics teaching, something that children really struggle with that you can teach quickly. Um, and I don't necessarily think that that has a transformative effect when children see that, but I do think there's something about the number line, about its your ability to get a grasp of numbers, to, to estimate numbers when you remove many of the numbers from that number line that just, I guess you could do that with a number track, but again, it, I just don't think it necessarily works in the same way. Finding that halfway point then depends on whether zero, whether your number track begins at zero, whether it depends at one. I just don't think it has that same natural flexibility to it. Yeah, I, I, I can see where you're coming from um, because like my decision to move away from that early exposure is probably only five or six years in the, in the making, you know, so um, what, what are we in now, 2021, so around about 2015, 2016, I probably, because I remember when I did the mast, I was a big fan of the, there's the famous Dutch study on the on the on the empty number line um, and so i and i would have used it the whole way you know when the national strategy was was going um and so certainly in my sort of formative years as a teacher the number line would have been central to my practice um, and i think it doesn't necessarily matter as long as the decision we're making has had the requisite amount of of thought you know, because um, I'm, I'm thinking. Yeah. Like, uh, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I know, I know exactly what you mean. It's how it fits into the sequence of other decisions as much as anything. How it how it's integrated, I, I think, makes total sense. I don't think this is a question necessarily where there is a right or a wrong. Though knowing our conversations on mathematics, there possibly is. And six months from now on the podcast, I'll be saying, "Yep, yep, I've I've moved number line to year four. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. Um, well, uh, I've got a conversation in my mind with a teacher in Shanghai. We were given the chance to talk to some teachers in must have been January 2014. And we, someone asked him about the number line. I can't remember exactly. And this may not have happened, but in my mind, it happened. Um, and someone asked him about the number line and, and he just laughed and said, why would we use that? <laughs> <laughs> and that and that really stood out to me as I'm like, oh, so there are different ways to interpret what I thought was a pretty sort of concrete. And this is this is what maths is. This is how it's taught. And and so it sort of opened my mind up to asking those questions. And and then obviously, you know, recently haven't had the chance to really get under the skin of a curriculum. You know, the things you outline. I know people going through having the journey that we've put in place for them will get to that level of understanding. So, and I'm looking at the picture from one to six, you know, and what are my, what are my key sort of things I want the pupils to internalize at each stage, you know, so I, I don't worry so much about, about them missing out. And, um, but I, but I do understand, you know, you, you need to think about 
Um, you need to think about what it is we want the pupils to understand, what we want them to have an innate sense of and to be able to articulate. And then that's where our decision comes from. You know, So I think um, when it should be introduced and why, up for debate. Um, but I do think it is important. You know, I think we can both agree on that. It's, it's important and that we should give it our fullest consideration, really. Well, out of curiosity, I know it's a different representation, but it's you know linked to what we're talking about. How do you feel about the use of number squares? Do they take up any um, time, in, or 100 squares, I should say, do they take up any time in the way that you teach mathematics in Key Stage 1? So they're not explicitly part of the of the curriculum journey that we've got in place, but they do feature, you know, in, in board games. They do feature, you know, in, in one shape or another, you know, from nursery all the way through to year two. But are we explicitly demonstrating their use? I don't think so. Again, I've taught like that in the past. I have used number 100 squares in the past. I, you know, got a preference for the number square was it begin with bottom left hand corner. You've got number one. Um, as opposed to the one that I would have been introduced to whenever I first started teaching, where one is at the top left-hand corner. But yeah, but I think it's um, supplementary rather than a fundamental part of what we do. Because, um, because again, I think that, um, correct me if linear isn't the right word, but I think because that understanding um, is probably our, our focus, you know, being able to see this... Um, this sort of um, ordinal sequence of numbers. I think because that's our focus, the, the track is, is front and center um, and eventually moving on towards the um, towards the number line. Yeah, I think there's something much more intuitive about a number track relative to a number square. I think obviously the, the power of it is that it um, demonstrates to some extent this idea of the patterns with tens and ones, which is perhaps of value. But yeah, I, I, I like the idea, the thing about the number track in comparison to the number line and to the hundred square is that even if it, you don't do this exact thing, though I think you can do with smaller numbers, if you were to put a counter under each number, you can, it, you can immediately relate the cardinal to the ordinal. So, so then we thought about when and why what uses does the number line have? Well, I touched on one earlier with regards to recognition of numbers between, say, 0 and 100. And obviously, that can apply to recognition between any two given points. So I think the idea of identifying and using a number line for comparison um, is really valuable. I think it has some quite, in some ways, limited or limited compared to the number line manuals I used to be given back in the day that suggested that it was a panacea. It does have some um, areas of arithmetic for which it's useful. I think in particular, the idea of demonstrating compensation in mental arithmetic as a visual model of compensation. So for example, were we to add 199, seeing that as adding 200 and subtracting one, I think that that's a nice representation to show the logic behind that. I think it can be quite powerful um, when it isn't a blank number line, when it's all the numbers are labelled. I think initially talking about things like skip counting, when you're talking about counting in threes, counting in fives, counting in twos. Equally, um, the number track is great for this. But for those who do introduce the number line, I think um, it can be um, equally valuable for that. I think where it really comes into its own is in things like rounding. I find use of a blank number line really powerful for rounding because often I've seen rounding taught in a manner that doesn't really respect the idea of, of magnitude, doesn't really grasp this idea of saying effectively what is it nearest to, which is what we're really hammering at when we're talking about rounding. And the representation on a number line really hammers that home when we're saying, you know, round... 347 to the nearest 100. It goes back to what I talked about earlier about identifying numbers, being able to say, well, here's 300, here's 400. 
what would be halfway between the two? Where would 347 be? And thus, which 100 is it closest to? Which one does it round to? It gives this sense of understanding of rounding that goes so far beyond the little rhymes that people use, like, you know, five and above, give it a shove, four and below, let it go, which doesn't really contain any understanding within it. So I think it's great for rounding, really fantastic for rounding. I like the way that it implies negative numbers. And you might argue, and I think it's um, probably true of the number track as well, that if we start counting, you know, zero, one, two, three, four along a number line, as we do with the number track, the question may jump into a child's mind as, as well as, well, infinity, how, what happens if we keep going that way or, in, or the infinity of numbers between numbers. There's also the idea implicit within it of, oh, okay, so if this is a line, what's to the left of zero? assuming we're orientating it the traditional you know, way that we would do in the UK. So I think it then becomes a really useful tool for calculating with negative numbers. So for example, if we were to say something like negative two add five gets us to positive three, being able to see why that is, being able to show that as a jump to zero and then a jump beyond and the, the partition of numbers within that. I think it's a, that's a really valuable um, way of dealing with negative numbers. I have to say as well that in terms of dealing with time, differences of time in particular, where you have a start point and an end point, or you have a duration and you have a missing start or a missing end point, it's a really valuable way of dealing with numbers um, in, in that sense. It's where I've, by far and away, where I've had most success in teaching children uh, number problems. Partly, I think, because it allows children to visually see and remind themselves that we're no longer counting in uh, base 10 but we're actually dealing with well we are dealing with base 10 but alongside that we're dealing with kind of a, a base of 60 to an extent um, which is obviously a key component of dealing with uh, minutes so yeah I think there's a lot to be said about the number line for those particular aspects no doubt you've got more to add or even to disagree with those. What do you think? Yeah, those are some great examples. Um, thinking about negative numbers, um, Charlotte Hawthorne does a really good, oh, I can't remember which maths conference it was, it was online. And she models really well how effective um, it can be in that instance. You know, and I'm thinking about um, my oldest, and he's just naturally inquisitive about things to do with mathematics. And so he was listening, you know, people talking about negative five and negative six and, and he wanted to know more. And so the first thing I, I spoke to him about was the idea of, you know, a number line, you know, and, and yeah, he, he really clicked onto that. And, you know, the, the movement. And so I think it, it can be really powerful in that, in that instance. And, and did you mention, um, as a model of the difference. Um, I think you say comparison, didn't you? So I think probably worth clarifying that comparison and the difference are essentially two ways of describing the same phenomenon. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so yeah, really powerful in that way. I think um, it's Pete Maddock, you know, that's his go-to, I think, in visible maths. Um, and I think it's a really powerful one. Um, and when you talk about time, I always talk to, you know, pupils in year five and six, when we're solving problems involving time, I always start off by telling them, you know, this isn't how time really behaves, but this is a really good way of describing how we think it behaves, you know, and how we, you know, believe it behaves. And, you know, because obviously, you know, and I should have made Carlo Ravelli my, um, my what you're reading for because he does a really good um, sort of hourglass and um, you know two triangles on top of each other to describe how you've got the present and then you've got all the possibilities that could have happened before sort of spacing out and then all the possibilities that could happen in future and um, but obviously you're not going to teach that to year five and six and um, what I said earlier on about how how much the pupils already already know makes a big difference pupils who have a a really good sense of time and durations can look at can look at a, a duration problem 
and make a jump of two hours, a jump of 30 minutes and a jump of 10 minutes. And they can be at the solution. If they don't have that understanding, then they could jump 10, jump 10, jump 10, jump 10, jump 10. And I think it almost makes the utility redundant. And, and so that, that, that's why I say what the pupil knows and what the pupil already understands makes a big difference. I don't know if you've ever encountered that before, Chris, but yeah, but those people who are good with time, they understand the idea of hours and minutes and, and all the things that are really sort of fundamental to that understanding of time that allow you to solve problems that involve um, sort of an expiration of duration. And I, for me, in my experience, it makes a big difference. And um, yeah, but I think, what can I add to that? So one of the one of the, one of the fundamental things that we use the the number line for is an expiration of decimals and fractions, and and I think again it goes back to what we're talking about proportional reasoning and this sort of sense of magnitude, and and so one of the key things we do is we look at the relative size and how the distance on the number line impacts on the placement of a of a decimal or a fraction and and i think you know you'll see and you've all already alluded to it a little bit you know i think colin foster will often share questions on twitter and he's got several different number lines and and one small change will impact on the on the placement and i think really getting under the skin of of the magnitude without you know the use of base 10 equipment for instance it's an it's another way of thinking about the the relative size of of different numbers you know whether they be less than zero and um, or whole numbers and um, yeah so I, I think that that that's key and, and that's the kind of thing that i would explore in year four certainly year five um, and then possibly a little bit more in year, in year six. Yeah, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. One of the key aspects of the understanding of decimals at first and fractions at first is getting it on that number line and seeing that there is um, a sense in which fractions don't necessarily, well, we talk about fractions being a fraction of something. So, you know, a quarter of four, but helping them to understand this inherent idea that when a quarter is on its own, it is, um, it's a quarter of one. And that, that that idea is almost a given. I think the use of a number line can help that. Lots of counting in, um, so in, in quarters or in fifths or in um, uh, other um, with, uh, fractions with other dom denominators. It's a great way to, I find as well, to get around this um, problem that children have with denominators, this idea that, you know what it's like you ask children what's larger a third or a quarter and at first a, a common misconception is that a quarter is the greater fraction because they're just so used to this idea of four being more than three whereas a number line particularly dare i say one that's quite flexible a digital one that can you can make that change quickly being able to show a number line from zero to one broken into um, four increments or broken into three increments and then just immediately being able to see that oh actually you can see that that increment where it's a third that is larger than that increment where it's been broken into quarters is a really um, valuable representation to help them overcome that um, misconception so I think it's, yeah really important that you brought up the idea of decimals and fractions and I think it's that understanding that differentiates those people who will be guaranteed almost success in the, in the secondary phase and those who will have to work that bit harder to to sort of enjoy mathematics and you know you, you'll often see it i think it's like um oh what's what's the phrase with is it like a it's not a latch key and um, but there's there's something similar you know and um, but really i, th I think if you've got that a solid understanding and when you leave primary school, then the rest of mathematics is so much easier. I don't know, what do you think, Chris? 
yeah, I agree. It's often been um, first port of call for me when working with certain children to see what their mathematics, their underlying mathematic uh, skills are at a given moment, their underlying mathematical knowledge to look at their understanding of the number line. In particular, their, like as I said earlier, their ability to estimate with a number line. For me to be able to say, well, here's zero, here's a thousand, where would 750 be? And then to say, well, okay, now it's zero and um, 10,000, where would 750 be? And that's quite a high level skill. Um, I think, for example, that Gareth Metcalf, who was on your show a little while back, he did an absolutely, he's done some absolutely amazing activities relating to number lines that really ensure that children think deeply. There's some great stuff there. Naturally, a lot of the stuff we do with number lines is stuff that we can get children to deal with on a whiteboard by drawing blank number lines. But there are also a lot of really valuable online resources I know out there. What would you point teachers towards in this area? So and I know you've got quite a few, Chris, so I, I, I won't take those. But my go to for, you know, the last however many years have been the ITP materials that, that we used to have on CDs way back when. But essentially, they've got lots of models and images that you can manipulate. And they've got quite a few interesting ideas in terms of what you can do with number line and i think it's maths frame they have repurposed it so that flash isn't necessary and so quite often i will i'll go to that and it's freely available and um, and i will use um the itp because i think it gives you a certain amount of flexibility in terms of what you want to draw attention to you know and I think it's you know the ITPs for me were one of those things. Well, let's not throw the 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 baby out with the the bathwater, you know. So when everything changed in in two thousand and twelve ish, when we had the you know sort of started to see the the, the national curriculum we're working with now, and um, there were still lots of really good stuff, you know. For me, the ITPs um, and all the really good work that have been done on reasoning um, were, were probably two of the fundamental things. I thought, well, I don't want to lose this. And um, yeah, so that, that's what I say. I'd say go to, if you want an online resource and um, that's particularly useful for the number line, the ITP. I'll say that slowly just in case no one has any idea what I'm saying. Because um, <laughs> it does happen. And um, the ITPs are um, are for me, uh, you know, essential. And it's fantastic that Maths Frame have made them available without the need for Flash. I'll introduce a few more, but first I'm going to answer the obvious question, which is, well, why do I need more than one? They, um, each of the number line online programs that I'm going to describe can do basically all of the jobs that you want them to do, or most of the jobs that you want to do with them. But each of them has their own advantages that I'm going to describe. And it's well worth just bookmarking all of them because of the slightly different um, advantages they do have. My go-to is usually mathslearningcenter.org. Um, it's Maths Learning Center. Center is spelled the American way, so I presume it's an American website. Is a really um, flexible way to deal with a number line. You can bring up um, bars to show things like addition, so it's great for modeling compensation on the board. Um, you can change all sorts of bits and pieces. It's also one of these ones where you can, can scroll from left to right quite smoothly so that if you wanted to show zero to a thousand and you can't fit it all on your board, then you can have it all on there while still showing children this um, continuous nature of number. And that's a really great one. There's also loads of other good stuff on Maths Learning Center. So I'd, I'd highly recommend people check that out. Uh, mathsbot.com has a really flexible number line, particularly great for things like fractions, decimals, percentages. Um, I, lo I love the way that you can remove numbers at random. You can get it to almost set a question for you. You know, you remove random numbers and children have to fill in the ones that, miss, uh, that are missing. That's really good. Um, the best one I think for rounding in particular, which I think is a, a key use of number lines, there's one at mathsisfun.com called the zoomable number line. If you type in zoomable number line into Google, this will be, I believe the first one that comes up. Again, really valuable, 
to be able to zoom in and out of a number line as well as moving left and right, because it just gives you whatever um, aspect of the number line that you want to focus on with children quickly. But it also allows you to say, show 400 and 500 and say 450 in the middle. And once you've said, oh yeah, I think 436 is going to be here. And so it's the, to the, it's rounded to the nearest hundred, it's 400, for example. And then you can zoom in and say, see, can you see all the numbers in between now? You can see that they're just hidden, they are here, but you can equally go further and further into dealing with decimals, etc. So that's a really valuable way of getting a grasp of number. The one bonus one I'll chuck in there, um, other than those key three, is um, it isn't so much a, a, a number line itself as a little program that get that can play with um, number lines. It's called, if you type in sign of the times, but sign spelled S-I-N-E, so as in cosine, type in sign of the times, zooming in on place value. There are a couple of pages on this, what I assume is a blog, uh, or website that um, ha basically have these little games that really support children's understanding of place value. So for example, you can um, get children to estimate between two numbers, you know, here's zero, zero and 10, where would 4.36 be? Just like I've described before, but this time, once you take a guess, a chunk of the number line kind of zooms out and spreads out so you can, and then, so first you will have had, for example, you know, zero to 10, and then it will spread out so you can see um, tenths, and then a chunk of that will spread out to see hundredths. And if you're going to three decimal places, a chunk of that will spread out to show you thousands, give, giving you a real grasp of um, the minute detail of where something like 4.367 is on a number line between zero and 10. It's really worth checking out and having a little play with. It's a great, um, final activity almost once you've really got to the stage where your children are, are grasping place value and you just want to hammer it home with a little bit of estimation. It's a great little site so I'd highly recommend you check that one out. So we've got mathslearningcenter.org, mathsbot.com, mathsisfun.com with the zoomable number line which is great for rounding and sign of the times spelled s-a-i-n-e of the times and that's zooming in on place value. They've got one for decimals, which you can adjust to different decimal places and one for numbers, um, for integers say between zero and a thousand. So really great for different age groups. Nice. Um, I had MathSpot and Maths is fun on my list, but I, what I really liked about yours was that you were demonstrating, and this is why I didn't want to steal them away from you. And um, you were demonstrating that the number line you choose and the functionality it has will be very much driven by what you're trying to draw attention to. Um, you know, so really thinking um, thinking deeply about, um, about what it is we want to achieve. So I think we could go on for a long time and I'm probably one to revisit um, in the future, but I think we've, pro we've probably covered as much of number lines as we are going to in this episode. So I think before we finish, let's turn our attention to a question you know that I find really interesting on social media. And I think it was along the lines of what is the value of constructing a reading spine? I'll start with the mundane. I think one of the things about plotting out the journey that um, children will experience in terms of literature and also the aspects of reading that don't relate to novels is that you can then make a commitment to it and buy some books, get them into your school, one between two. And even if this is a process that takes a number of years, you get to a stage where there are enough books that match you know, the needs of your school so that your reading sessions can have reading material in them without having to do lots of photocopying. Incredibly mundane, but it also is such a time saver for teachers. It means children can experience books in a much more pleasant way. But yeah, so the first thing, it allows schools to invest in quality books that they can, um, that the children can read from. The second thing is it forces a certain level of thinking on schools, it makes them really think about their reading offer. It makes them decide and plot out that reading journey for children. 
So it means that schools start to say, oh, actually, well, looking at the, the books that we're reading to children, it, there's a lot of um, male protagonists here, or there's far too many fantasy novels. There isn't a balance of what we're providing to children. So it allows schools to provide that balance from, um, across, sorry, across the entire school. Um, I think another thing that it can do is that it can really supplement your curriculum. So both in terms of the, the novels that children will read, but also the aspects that don't relate to, to, to literature. So I'll give you an example. My um, school curriculum doesn't contain um, an aspect of study in history that relates to um, a South American civilization. So we supplement that through our reading curriculum by having a, a week in which we read in different aspects about the Mayans. So it can supplement the curriculum, but it can also tie in other aspects of the curriculum. So you can start to say, well, we'll be reading um, this story that's set on the Isles of Scilly. So I need to talk about um, what an island is to children. Maybe I'll introduce a nonfiction text the week before that um, gets them ready for this, um, to understanding this environment. Once it all fits together, you've got something quite special in a reading curriculum. But that only happens if you've developed a reading spine. The, the last thing I would mention, and I've obviously mentioned it a couple of times already, but quite often when it comes to reading spines, um, schools think about the literature that their children are going to read. And that's fantastic, but that should really just be the start. We really want to uh, ensure that children um, are, have a very well thought through offer for reading when it relates to poetry, to information texts, to um, other forms of text, other arguments, speeches, this sort of thing. Um, that, that ensures that what they're getting is balanced and well thought through. So in short, um, there are practical reasons like the purchasing of books and there are also some quite um, important other reasons that relate to the curriculum offer that you're giving to children. The very last thing I've mentioned actually, because it's absolutely essential and something that um, I was brought to my attention by Matt Swain, one of your previous guests and a friend of the show, is the importance of being able to take your reading spine and have it reflect your community, offering them in the expression that you might have often seen when it comes to reading, um, on edu Twitter and other places, offering them both a mirror and a window. So allowing, so allowing children to see themselves reflected in the books that they read, but also to see a wider world brought to them. And that's um, one of the things that you can really achieve quite carefully if you um, put a great deal of thought into your reading spine. Yeah, it's a, such an interesting subject and one on which, if I know anything, a good chunk of it comes from Matt. I think we'll, we'll have to schedule an episode where you and Matt sort of um, share more on your on your thoughts, you know, because that, that really is, you know, so, an excellent example of um, really thinking about our craft, you know, nice. So fantastic. Thanks, Chris. To everyone at home, thank you for listening um, and we'll see you next time. Mm -hmm.